but I had never seen an audience. It's like this, like hot girls, like just <laughs> all there to CG love. I was like, oh, yeah. this could be really something. <laughs> Welcome to episode 71 of the Bay Shed Podcast. My name is Ryan Roberts. Trickfish Amplifiers, trickfishamps.com. Stop by their website, check out their line of cabinets, base heads, and preamps and accessories. I remember talking to the guys at Trickfish, and we were <laughs> we were both geeking out about how we love like little bags and cases for everything. You know, and I just started, I think, playing the minnow, the, the single channel preamp. I'm like, dude, I need a case for this. Like, can we just do like make a little case for this? He's like, oh yeah, I think that needs to happen. Uh, <laughs> I love the guys over at Trickfish. Stop by trickfishamps.com. Use the promo code at the base shed for 10% off. Double bassists, stop by lemurmusic.com for everything you need for the double bass. Not only everything you need, probably a bunch of stuff you want also. <laughs> everything you want and need for the double bass can be found at lemurmusic.com. Stop by, check it out. Their collection of bows, basses, bass accessories, preamps, and more. Lemurmusic.com. Tsunami cables come with a lifetime guarantee and they look really, really cool. <laughs> then that's, you know, come on, that's the thing. We're all vain. <laughs> TsunamiCables.com. Use the promo code TheBayShed for 10% off. Stop by the website. Also, check out the V15 preamp. You can listen to my chat with the owner of Tsunami Cables, Keith Sticks, on episode 51 of the Bay Shed podcast. Stop by Tsunami Cables. Use the promo code TheBayShed and save some money. So this is a special episode of the Bay Shed podcast. This was recorded uh, at Lemur Music in the showroom down there, one of the showrooms at Lemur Music. We did a video podcast that will be up shortly on YouTube, and it will also be up at lemurmusic.com. You will uh, be able to check that out there. I will be sending out the links as it gets live on their site, so you can go check it out. Uh, it's also a series that Lemur and I will be kind of you know, uniting on. Uh, I did another episode earlier this week. I recorded another episode earlier this week with Jason Brown, the uh, head luthier over at Lemur Music. Uh, and then there's some other things in the works. So stay tuned for that about, uh, you know, what's happening from the Live at Lemur series. <laughs> uh, but the first one was Jimmy Jazz Prescott from G Love and the Special Sauce. And it was exciting to connect with him. I have known of G Love and the Special Sauce, uh, the group, since, wow, uh, it's been a long time. I think probably around like when I was 17 or 18. That puts it at like, I don't know, 1998. 1999 somewhere in there this music store I was teaching at um, that, yeah like one of the dudes one of the dudes that was all into G-Love and uh, was always kind of ragging on me uh, for not listening to G-Love and the Special Sauce and listening to you know Michael Brecker and Patitucci and the records I was into at the time <laughs> uh, yeah so it's this is kind of like you know it's uh, it's come a little bit full circle at this point, now connecting with Jimmy Jazz Prescott of G-Love and the Special Sauce. I had a great time chatting with him. We're going to talk about um, his time with G-Love. We're going to talk about, you know, we're going to nerd out on bass strings because that's what upright players do. You just nerd out on bass strings. So we do a little bit of that. Uh, he's going to talk about some early influences. Uh, just It was a good hang. It was just a great hang uh, down at Lemur. 
And yeah, as I mentioned, I'll be releasing more information about where you can check out the video of this podcast and uh, where more from the Live at Lemur series uh, will be. I don't know if it's live at Lima, right? It was this was recorded like I don't know two weeks ago, three weeks ago, two weeks ago. So it's not really live, you know. Technically, anything's live. Like by the time you hear this, it's recorded. But right now, I'm talking live. So who knows? Everything's live at some point. At some point. Um, yeah. All right. That's what I got. Here, here's my talk. Here's my talk with Jimmy Jazz Prescott of G Love and the Special Sauce. Very, it's really hard for me not to look at the camera. <laughs> the part. Was it was that in the states? Yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, we, we were like the house band. It was uh, you remember Ben Stein? Yeah, you know he had a show win Ben Stein's money, which was pretty popular, right? And then he tried to have a talk show. Okay, like just sit down, interview style talk show. Yeah, and we were the house band. Okay. It was great, man. How long did that last? Uh, well, two weeks. <laughs> but that was like the whole season. The whole season was taped in oh, two, two weeks. weeks. Okay. A like, couple of shows a day. Yeah. And then like... What was that, like an eight, ten hour production day? No. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. It was like hour episodes, so you figure it. Yeah, half hour episodes. Okay. Yeah, no, it was, it was like a... An easy afternoon of work. It was. That's dope. It was. It was hilarious, man. Was that shot out on the West Coast? Yep, yep. Okay. It was like right, the, you know, one of the studios there. Yeah, that seems like an LA thing for sure. Yeah, totally. I don't remember. Like, I remember hearing about the show, and I remember the Win Ben Science Money thing. That I feel like that hit right around the time Who Wants to Be a Millionaire kind of. Yeah. Hit the radar. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't, I didn't tune it. No, you know, I, it was like, you know, a Comedy Central thing. It played for, right. you know, in the middle of the night for <laughs> one season. And then no one ever made it. Had a name. I, maybe it was just the Ben Stein show. That's just it. Yeah. <laughs> He'll always be the homeroom teacher from the yeah. years to me. Like that's Bueller. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, forget about that. Yeah. I just remember he was the annoying, like monotone teacher in the Wonder Years. Like they'd show films and he would just talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's you don't want to do that. That's how I remember. Yeah. <laughs> uh cool man, so tell me about your game last night. Where were we playing last night? You were down in San Diego. Uh, yeah, we were down at the uh the uh at the coach house that's tonight. The belly up. Okay. In uh, Solana Beach. Solana Beach? Solana. Solana. Huh? I was going to call it Solana, but it's Solana. There, yeah, there might be a Solana. I feel like that's up by Santa Barbara. Yeah. Is there a Solana? That's probably, yeah. All right. So. Okay. Yeah, but the belly up, it's a great, great club, man. Nice. Uh, I don't know if it's sold out, but it was packed in there. And, yeah, we rocked it. It was really nice. All right. How long has this tour been going? This is uh, second half. It's basically nine weeks. We can okay. break in the middle, but yeah, yeah. This is so. Is this the beginning of the second leg then? This is the end of the second. Oh, the second leg. Okay, so you're ready to go home. You're ready to just yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, hey, too much tour talk. Yeah, we're we're gonna gonna go home to my house. <laughs> yeah, 
everything been cool with like the, the reopening up? Have you noticed? Is there weird yeah. protocols in different cities? I mean, I know LA is pretty loose uh, about it. Yeah, everything really loosened up actually the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's, there weren't that many places that were getting up to about you yeah. uh, work a lot in Florida. Not Florida. Yeah, nobody cares. Wild yeah. down there. Man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know if they observed it at all. Yeah. 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 It's like, oh, well. Yeah, whatever. Who cares? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, at the beginning of the tour, we would all like wear masks or whatever, and like the crews would wear masks at the beginning of the night. But then, you know, by the Showtime, we'd never yeah, we'd really last right. shows, and, and then everyone's drunk at the end of the night. Which I've noted throughout the whole thing, Bandons. Yeah. You know, that when the first time I was having jam sessions in my backyard, and you know, typically play some tunes, drink a few beers, and then after the beer, it's like, ah, you want to like right. do the high five, and it's like, oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Stay apart. <laughs> Is that is that something you did regularly during lockdown? Because you're from you yeah. live up in Portland. I live up in Portland. Okay. Yeah, and you know when the weather was nice, right? Is that yeah. that regular? But that summer, yeah, we had a few a few sessions. Okay. In the backyard. Nice. My you know jazz jazz guys. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what were you playing? Like straight ahead. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Straight ahead. I got a. Uh, uh, a record out, Jim Prescott Trio. Okay. That uh, is, uh, yeah, it's, it's basically straight ahead. It's some original compositions, but like, okay, written based on like, okay, Tad Dameron. Nice. Various. Nice. Who are who are your influences as a straight ahead player? I mean, there's. I mean, there's uh, always the, the core that everybody you know chooses from. You know, I've always loved Paul Chambers and, and like that. Yeah. That Miles. Sure. You know, uh, I mean, Ron's, Ron's great, incredible, but Paul Chambers just really yeah. speaks to me. Sure. And, like, was something when I when I picked up the upright, I was like, oh, I was like, that's how this, because I was trying to do that kind of thing on, on like, fretless electric. Right. Not, like, and then I picked up, I was like, oh, this is Right. This Especially that sound. Are you playing Guts? Uh, I wasn't in those days, but I, I got guts on. Yeah, guts on. Uh, I've never, I've never had guts on my bass. From everything I've read, they take a lot of upkeep, right? Um, like they, they, they check them on that maintenance string. Don't you have to like put oil on them, or they fray, or some no, kind of thing? No, I mean I don't. Uh, Oh, maybe I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know. Well, um, I feel like know. we're at the place. Someone should know. Yeah, like, uh, we're gonna have to ask you around. Good. Yeah, but uh, yeah, no. Well. Uh, you know, I uh, have two bases at home. Actually, I have a, a, this old German flatback, and on that one, I have uh, olive strings, okay. which are gut wrapped in metal. Okay, kind of the best of both worlds. Right, they're really beautiful. My my teacher got me hooked on them. Yeah, <laughs> and then you know, he gave me a couple and then they wore out and I was like, oh, buy some new ones. I was like, oh, yeah, 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 oh, yeah, 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 It's not style No, no, not at all. Uh, so there was, well, yeah, on the other base, I have like raw gut strings that I got from a friend of mine. Okay. 
the bass player in Portland, and they're just he gets them from India. Really? And you know, do they have the hookup on? Or is that like something? Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, is there some like mainstream black market that I don't know about? Really? Yeah. Well, well, I want it's like, well. You gotta come to Portland. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that the channel? Like yeah. a, the Bay Street black market funnels to Portland? You know, I, I don't know. <laughs> well, now, now, now I'm saying, yeah. yeah, maybe it is black market. <laughs> you know, it's like animal products from India. <laughs> but they're, they're kind of weird, you know, and uh, they kind of exude fat when you really them up. They get like greasy. Huh. Which is, I imagine, the animal fats and oils coming out. Okay. So that's why I, I just like wipe them down for a while. And then once they're, you know, once we they, they, they're, they're, they're fun, fun to play. Which ones do you play with G Love? Do you play the, the rap uh, ones? G Love, I, I play straight Spire Core because okay. I, I have a magnetic pickup on that. Okay. Okay. So that's a. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's a whole different thing, really. Yeah. <laughs> that's really more of an electrified upright sure. thing with Gila. So we were talking upstairs. How um, you're a founding member member of Gila in the special yep. sauce, and you guys all met in the Boston area. Yeah, we did. So tell tell the story about how you guys met each other or started playing music together. Yeah, you know, I had just switched to upright at that point. I actually had gotten laid off of the job and got a severance check, and I was like, <laughs> going to the store, blowing up, right? And uh, yeah, I was hanging at a, uh, a jam session that was actually brought in by our drummer. Okay. So he he would like, it was like the Monday night yeah, yeah. straight ahead session okay. down there and see what I could, see yeah. what I could do. And uh, uh he apparently met G Love at the same club where his jam session was because he okay. went out there. He was dating with the bartender. <laughs> and yeah. G so Love played for free. He's really yeah, yeah. yeah. He's <laughs> at the bar with his free beer. And, yeah. You know, saw G Love play, and you know, they started talking because they only two people in the place. <laughs> and uh, G's like, I'm trying to get a band together, and. Jeffrey was like, well, I'll help you find guys, but I don't want to be in it. <laughs> 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 His attitude, you know, the whole time. Yeah. So, yeah, but uh, I guess they tried out, they were going to try out a tuba. They wanted to like, oh, do really? something really different. They okay. tried out a tuba. They basically went through every other, you know, dude, dude at the session, yeah. okay. uh, including a really great player named John Turner, who's a uh, kind of a mentor at that time. Nice. And, uh, you know, he's really heavy. Okay. Studied with Ornette. And oh, wow. But, so he turned down the gig. You yeah. Know, and then they... Because they it wasn't come. jazzy enough? Yeah, you know, he was, like, having a different kind of career. I yeah. Think. Okay. What's he up to now? He plays with uh, Room Full of Blues. Okay. In the... In, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm sure he did some... Did some things. Some interesting some freaky jazz in the ears, but no, we're not. We're going to study with Ornette. You're kind of on this trajectory yeah. to get your, yeah. get, your, get your hands dirty with some no, he weird would, jazz he at some point. Pretty bored with some of the yeah. <laughs> stuff we had to do. But uh, yeah, we all kind of met up through that, through that jam session. And, uh, you know, we did. Uh, 
we did one rehearsal. Jeffrey was like playing brushes on a cardboard box. Okay. And we went over G's tunes and then we did this gig at the same club, Tam Shanter, Brookline Ave. Okay. And uh, man, I walked up there and I had played in, you know, bands. I would played in bands my whole yeah. time. I was in Boston 10 years and uh, I had never seen an audience. It's like, this is like hot girls. Like just <laughs> all there to CG love. I was like, oh, yeah. this could be really something. <laughs> this, this is definitely this is just like funky. Yeah. Fun. I was like, oh, look at these chicks, man. <laughs> Yeah, and every every show we played, like at that show, someone would book us next show. Okay, and kind of just kind of escalated, and it, and it built up. Yeah, and fast, man. Nine months later, we were, uh, you know, G signed a record deal. Okay, and basically after the first record was already recorded. Already recorded. So how long from like the first gig till you guys went into the studio? Well, uh, the first maybe a couple of a couple of months. We were, uh, you know, playing around. Um, you know, we would play out in the street, play oh, parties yeah. and stuff. And uh, G Love had sent a, a cassette into the Philadelphia Music Conference. Yeah. Um, and that guy called us up and was like, "Come down to the." music conference and that had to be yeah that was sometime in the that summer of 93 okay we went down there and we played the music conference and before I guess it was just like you know you play these shows back to back before us or after us maybe after us was was the square roots and they had just dropped the square and they were the roots okay and um, yeah that was that was a heavy show. Yeah. But after after the show, the guy who invited us down to the conference, uh, Dave Johnson, our first producer, he was like, okay, my like kids be in the studio on Monday. Here's the address. Wow. I'm going to call my boss. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to be away for another couple of days. What was what was the gig at the time? What was who was the boss? Like what was the job? Oh, I, I worked for uh, worked for is that Cambridge Signal Technologies okay. made a digital equalizer for recording studios. All right. It was a pretty interesting product. It was a, a, like a correction system. So you put a mic from a position position, yeah. sent test signals to the monitors and like built an inverse filter of the room. Huh. It's really cool. So that, that's the EQ rooms? Yep. Okay. It's a room EQ. Interesting. And uh, yeah, it didn't really catch on. It was a little ahead of its time. Sure. But, uh, you know, but, uh, I mean, it was a cool job. I was, I was basically the manufacturing engineer. I just was like building them. So you're building, yeah. Yeah. So kits out and yeah. boards come back and test them. And be like, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So coming from that background, do you have a home studio? I do. Okay. Yeah. That is a pretty deadly. Have you used one of these on the room? To, uh, to the no, you know, I, you know the uh, the product. I, I, you know, they stopped making them. You know, they only made them for a few years, but okay. it was like it had of its time because it was like a rack mount uh, box, like packed with technology, including yeah. these uh, chips to implement the the filter. 
which now you can do in software. Sure. Super easy, but like it was like very expensive. Huh. It was like, you know, 5,000 bucks. Oh, wow. For something that like made it sound a little better. Right. <laughs> But what happened? What happened to the company? Did they have a patent on the technology or the the chip? Could they sell that then to a software company? Do you know much about what happened there? Uh, you know, they tried to pivot into converters, and they were doing converters and headphone amps. You know, they they pivoted into that product into the like high end home market. Okay, called the tweak market. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> some geeky ideas out okay. there. But uh, you know that that did okay. But yeah, I should call them as those engineers. That's it was cool technology. Um, but uh, there's a couple of other. You know, at the time, I remember there was a system that was for live venues. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's based on the name of it. But that kind of. Uh, took over in terms of room connect correction. Okay. Because this was a very specific product. It worked perfectly in one position. Right. And like most people don't really sit in one position and listen. Exactly. You know? Exactly. I mean it seems like that product would be great for an engineer who's sitting here at the desk. Yeah. You know, and to what like where your where your monitors are going to be in relation to the listening experience. Yeah. And if you have a big a big flat desk like that to put yeah. an angle and you have you know the big remember the sure. 801s or something that are up in the wall right right first thing happens is the direct signal to your ear and the next signal is bouncing off the console right you know so uh, you know an engineer makes comb filtering you know we have that delayed signal sure so like when you take that out with the digital filter it's it's amazing it's huh. like you know you don't realize that this is like like comb filtering happening. Yeah. And then, you know, when you improve that uh, frequency response and balance it between speakers and your imaging, like totally opens up. Hmm. It's pretty cool. How how is all this information in this background affected your your playing uh, setup? Like how you set up your amp, how far you are from your amp, like do you raise it, do you keep it on the ground, all your knowledge about acoustics. Yeah. Well, a couple of a couple of ways. Back in the day, you know, before I got a coil pickup, I just used to use a you know a bridge pickup mm-hmm. fishing deal. Okay. And uh, I used to play through a, a redhead and I would put it as close to my ear as I could. Okay. You know? And uh that eventually became the, the, putting on tower two ten combo. We're talking yep, about the yep. ten combo, and then I, that eventually became because they're everywhere. I would just put it on top of a, a SVT oh, yeah. eight by ten. Sure, we actually had a V nine for a while. We bought it at a thrift store. We'll it it's like a, it's really a guitar cabinet, but okay. it has nine drivers. Oh like wow, three. It's like three ported. Three ca- cabinet or oh, three wow, cabinets, yeah. you know, like the SBT kind but it's a little wider. Man, it was cool. <laughs> Apparently, that's what Keith Richards' is favorite. Oh, that thing <laughs> yeah. through the V nine. All right. But, so, you, so your thing was because there's there's information in the bass world about like raising the speaker, keeping it on the ground, the connection to the ground. But then, if you do, the wave's going to hit the ground. Yeah, I mean, that's all like that's 
Oh, no, and Boyd, when you got the subs under the stage, am I going to say? My thing was put the speaker next to my ear so I could, sure. so I could hear it and, you know, okay. not have to have it be, like, louder. Does that eliminate yeah. feedback issues, then, if it's raised also? Theoretically, yeah. you know, but, I mean, those waves are so big sure. that you never know what's going to happen with the bouncing. Yeah, I was in a studio a couple, maybe last month or something, and like the engineer had the studio totally dialed in mathematically. And he was telling me about the distance of waves and then where he put his bass tracks and all this. Uh, he told me 16 feet for bass waves. Yeah, well, uh, ten, 100 hertz is 10 feet. That's 100 hertz is 10 feet, okay. Around the, okay. So, and as you know, you go lower, they get bigger. Right. And that's. That's right around the frequency of an E string. Do I understand that correct? Uh, yeah, E seven, something like that. Okay. Yeah, low E. All right. And that's all interesting to me. Like I, I don't know how it really. You know, you don't always have ten feet to stand away from your cab on a gig. Right. You know, but yeah. it's fascinating stuff. It's interesting, you know, when. Uh, at one point, I, I, you know, as we were touring around, I said, gee, you got to get sound there. Yeah. Yeah, we wanted to tour with the sound there. And it was just like some of those gigs were just brutal. <laughs> you know, what was the reasoning for not wanting? They were not wanting a sound in? Yeah. You just didn't you want just to, wanted to keep it lean and mean. Yeah, okay. I get it. Sure. Uh, and he's not, yeah, he's not really an audiophile. Okay. You know, he's, it's not super tuned into that aspect of it. Yeah, yeah. You know, whereas I probably <laughs> sing about it. Our, our old drummer, I drove him crazy because I didn't want the overtones and in the toms and stuff. Okay. And like his kick drum, he, you know, played these big old calfskin oh. head kick drums. And sometimes, you know, you put a mic in front of it and like some club that's has like tremendous resonance and all sure. of a sudden it's just like, was this the founding guy, the jazz guy? Yeah. What's his name? Jeffrey Clemens. Jeffrey Clemens. Okay. Yeah. Nice. He's still in the band? He's uh, not with our uh, current touring uh, posse. He, okay. He, he's retired. Okay. Uh, he, he uh, like, is off the road. Couldn't deal with the boss anymore. Just, That's fair. Yeah. I understand it. Yeah. <laughs> really? How? <laughs> no, but that brings up a great point. Like, what have you, how have you adapted to that? How have you, how have you dealt with the bus for so many years? Well, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, you know, I kind of built my life around it. So okay. I, you know, I don't, I don't mind sleeping in a little cubby hole. Yeah. <laughs> that's, know, okay. that's number one. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a different way to live, but I, I, I feel like I'm good at it. I know how to, Okay, it doesn't arrange all my shit. I've just been doing it for so long. Right. And, and it's not, uh, at this point, after doing it for so long, you're not burnt out on it? Yeah. No, I, you know, it's it's cool. I mean, it, it, it can, I can be burnt out. Like, yeah. Like, you know, we did, we just did five weeks and then four weeks. Five weeks is just one week too long. Is that the tipping point? That's like, <laughs> You just tell everybody's mood goes in the ground. So, okay. You know, there's those things. You know, that's kind of what you what you learn after a while. Sure. 
Is being out for four weeks pretty regularly with with you? Uh, well, you we do. These, like, I mean, month? ideally, but yeah, not so much recently. Sure. Uh, but we usually do a pretty consistently a, a winter tour. Which okay. Is, you know, eight or nine weeks. Okay. And uh, yeah, it's, it's it's cool. You know, I'm, I dig it, and I'd like to be out. Um, on a like shed tour in the summertime. That's, <laughs> that's the best. We, we toured with uh, Jack Johnson a couple okay. of times, and uh, man, it's so great. You know, yeah. just roll into these, you know, the shed or whatever. Yeah, and uh, they got catering and shit. And play, yeah, play forty five minutes and then just right. Oh, the different different vibe. Yeah, yeah. So what happens during the summer months with G-Love then? Do you guys do festivals? Are you Yeah, there's a, we'll do a few one-offs here and there. I mean, to back in the day we would we would do we did uh, you know, try and get on a package tour for the okay. for uh, July, August. Uh, but uh, yeah, like I mean 18, we've been out with Blues Traveler. Okay. Uh 2019. Yeah, yeah. Some of these acts like I don't I hear about it. I'm like, really? They're still okay. It's people say about us. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just like these bands that from back then that I remember as being such a sound of the times. Yeah. That I don't think about regularly unless it comes on in one of these old records. I'm like, oh yeah, I think this. Right. Yeah. But I don't think about them, uh, you know, coming through the city at all or check them out. You know, it's kind of cool because that. Genre, if you want to call it that, kind of with the jam scene, yeah. kind of like those fans are still coming out. Yeah, you know, it's like they're all. It seems like a very developed fan base. Yeah, 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 and it's pretty cool. You know, they nice. have the same We, uh, well, the other, uh, we were out opening for uh, Hall and Oates. <laughs> really? That was a lot. Of fun. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> I don't. They're fans. I don't really care about us, though. No, they didn't win? You know, we usually got them, but it's just like, it's like really like 45 minutes set, but it's like a lot of work because people are coming in, looking at you like, "Eh, what's this? Right. This this doesn't sound like Sarah's smile. Right. (laughs) But but that's cool. You know, that's that's how I'd like to be set up spending the summer, but G's going out solo. Okay. With uh, dispatch and OAR. Okay. That's <laughs> what the- still out there? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say it again. <laughs> so yeah. When when he goes out solo, what keeps you busy creatively in the meantime? Um, you know, I uh, creatively I'm just always at the piano when I'm at okay. home and uh, you know, working on my Working on the jazz, you know, and okay. uh, sort of getting into composing. Okay. Right. right. More in the jazz genre? Yeah. Okay. Uh, you know, I, uh, yeah, I love that shit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, me too. Really, uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I need to work out some kind of hustle and pace. And build. <laughs> I mean, I think I have a problem, like, <laughs> Creating shit, but right. selling it is sure. another sure. story. Yeah, monetizing the yeah. time is a different, uh, different vibe. Yeah. So, do you, are you picking up gigs in Portland? Are you doing? Are you plugged into I'm the local scene? Uh, yeah, a little bit. You know, uh, being on the road so much. When I first moved up to Portland, 
uh, I was on the road a lot, so okay. it really it took me a while to engage and see. Yeah, there, but I ran a jam session for a while. That was nice, like Tuesday night. Okay, jam. You know, that, that was, was that a jam band thing or like a no, like jam? straight ahead okay. jazz session. Calling standouts. Yeah. 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 Real yeah, you're listening to every tenor player play rhythm changes for 45 minutes. There it is. Yeah. <laughs> Playing along with yeah. it. Let's get your chops. That's it. Uh, you know, as of late, I haven't really been been doing much of that scene, you know. Uh, the whole venue situation in Portland kind of... Did a lot of people not make it after the yeah, pandemic? Yeah, and even before the pandemic, it kind of was like a reshuffling. And, mm. You know, we lost a a couple of uh, well, there's a famous place, Jimmy Max. Okay, I mean, we didn't close ten years now, but no, I was like, it kind of put a damper on the scene. Sure. Some other places have filled the void now, but I just didn't really engage with that transition. Sure, uh, I'm playing with uh, a singer songwriter group we call Amp. Okay, it's, uh, with the guy by the name of Kelly Eisberg. Okay, he's from Fruition. Uh, okay. Uh, and another uh, fellow, Sean McLean, and uh, he plays with a band called Bulls Finest up there. And so and I just got together with those guys during the COVID. Yeah. And I, you know, we do songs from their band and some G Love tunes. Cool. And uh, yeah, that was cool. Did, and did some records with them, or is it just Well, it's games? kind of developed into we're about to do some recording now. Okay. I had a drummer, a good friend of mine, James West, on drums. He's really a, he's a great player. I'm looking for a project to nice, nice to, to get into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, it's been really fun. You know, we're kind of developed in some okay. some new material. Okay, what's kind of the singer songwriter, but from what perspective, like a '60s Dylan thing? Or more of a progressive, no, I don't want to say progressive, maybe more of a modern approach? You know, it's, uh, we're trying to modernize it. You know, it's definitely, yeah, like Beatles-y. Okay. Uh, in terms of the songwriting. You know, I'm playing the acoustic bass and the drummer plays like a real open thing. So it's okay. like, uh, kind of like a jazzy yeah, yeah, yeah. side to that. That's cool. And, uh, you know, we're mostly acoustic. Okay. For now, but yeah, all, all all of us have aspirations on on keyboards or okay. Do do a band by playing the keyboards. Nice. So, yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. It's, it's uh, was was that your first instrument playing keys? Uh, no, no. I started out on guitar. Yeah, you know, it was uh, it was a classic, like in the basement, like three <laughs> guitar players. Shredding away like no yep. chords at all, and then um, one one kid was like, "Hey, I got a bass. Why don't you play the bass?" Yeah. Like, okay. The bass. I was like, "Yeah, <laughs> Jack Russo." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, I think it's always one or two things, right? It's always like the guitar player transition to the bass, or I also know a fair amount of people that trumpet was their first instrument, and then they end up as bass players. Huh. Yeah. That was my experience. Trumpet was mine, and there's a couple other friends of mine with trumpet. Really? You started on trumpet? In like fifth grade. Yeah. Wow. Know, okay. Yeah. Whatever elementary school band. If, if, if you want to consider that a start, like, I don't know. I did it. I don't. Yeah. No, I think it's. I wasn't hustling gigs or anything. It's a, I'm sometimes jealous of, of like band kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you have like a, a foundation and. 
Maybe, maybe yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't. I never thought about it. Do you, like, you carry that through to your bass playing, or um, the academic nature of it? Yeah, yeah. Like, did yeah, you like, switch so. from like trumpet to bass? I, I not. It wasn't like, a direct switch. So, I, like, I was yeah. playing trumpet like fifth grade. I didn't pick up electric bass until. 15, 16. Okay. But then that took off pretty quick. Like, I was teaching at the local music store at 17. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, like, doing gigs. My mom wouldn't let me do gigs until I was out of high school. <laughs> but, like, senior year, the end of senior year of high school, I started doing some, you know, cover bands at bars and stuff. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. I don't know. That, that wasn't really academic because then I had to learn the working world of yeah. things, you know, which is yeah. completely different. They just give you, you know, back then they would give you mixtapes, you know, like here's yeah, a CD, but yeah. these 42 like rehearsals on Thursday. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and that was foreign to me. That was, that was something I had to get together. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I mean, the academic thing did translate, but it's the other side of things is what I had to do to kind of survive. And I was young, you know, like, oh, this is what the guys do. I got to do this. Yeah, yeah. So, you know. Yeah. I, I, I've, tried to use my good fortune on that side to like continue like a slow study of music. <laughs> Did you have formal training uh, uh, on the bass? Um, a little bit. I studied uh, a little bit with a uh, guy named Bruce Gertz in uh, Boston. Okay. He was, uh, at the time, he was the head of the bass department at Berkeley. Yeah, the name sounds familiar, but yeah. I don't know a lot about it. Yeah, he's really great. He's a really great teacher. He can do all like uh, all different areas. Is this electric or upright? Uh, upright. Okay. Well, I actually started with him on the fretless and then uh, took a few lessons with him on the on the. So upright. did you go from guitar right to fretless? Or was there uh, a fretted no, bass no, in there? There was a couple fretted bass. Yeah, like some kind of pawn shop P bass in the middle? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, play power chords yeah. on it with a pig sure. sliding across the club in my knees. Those, <laughs> those things are awesome. At some point, I was like, maybe I just want to play jazz. Yeah. Kind of, you know, I was hung out, hang out with Gibson Berkeley and all, and, uh, you know, um, I just heard Miles and got sure. the bug. Yeah. What what era was this? Was this like late eighties, early nineties? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't really. I know people that have gone to Berkeley in the eighties, and then some that went to nineties and after. And I, I feel from what I heard that there was like a shift in kind of the, the culture of the school there between like the late eighties, probably to the mid nineties. Something kind of happened within that school. Yeah, I. I don't really know. I just know there was like a lot. Of, there was a lot of different. Scenes and things happening. I remember, yeah. the, like the guitar player thing, you know, in the yeah early nineties, late eighties was like there was so many oh, metal shred, yeah. guitars, shredders, yeah. and they all thought they were better than the other one, and it was oh, like, yeah. kind of insane. Yeah, my good friend uh, Dave Watts from the band Motet. Okay, pretty cool, uh, but he he was at BU with me, and he was like classical percussion. Oh, wow. I'll be you. And he was like, hey, I'm going to Berkeley. Like a drum kit. Because <laughs> I actually recruited him from a band in, in college. And uh, yeah, he was the first drummer that I played with. Okay. So, oh, this is cool. Okay. <laughs> and uh, yeah, but so he was at, at Berkeley the whole time that I was in school. And 
you know, we would go over there and like hang out in the practice room and practice, you know, yeah. jam out in the practice. Just work it out, yeah. And uh, yeah, I definitely got a lot of information by osmosis. Nice. Stuff. So is this also with a lot of your like formative jazz training interest, people learning yeah, from peers? You know, uh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Like that's, that's when I was like, you know, I was playing in rock bands around, but I was like, Listening, I was like more and more. I was like, "Wow, what's going on over here?" Like, yeah. Miles and you know, yeah. it's like what happened in the late sixties and okay, it's like, oh yeah. Like, but now being a big Paul Chambers fan and then hearing all the stuff that's happening in the sixties with LaFaro and Ron, you know, and I mean, there's so many dudes in the sixties and the the bass went through a transitionary period there in the sixties. Yeah. Were you still like, yeah, that's cool, but I'm still into like the old PC stuff, or like the mid fifties to late fifties? Yeah, you know, I uh, I kind of was intimidated by like, like I I had like studied a little bit Ron Carter, maybe a little uh, couple of the solos I learned something, and then or uh, for Paul Chambers, okay, and then. Yeah, still working on transitioning to run. <laughs> oh, it's like, yeah, this, the simplicity and like the real straight ahead sure. walk and stuff that just really resonates. Yeah, resonates with me. It was like second nature for some reason. Yeah, and it's a little bit more. I mean, what he was doing, Paul Chambers, as you know, solo wise, was very kind of advanced for the times. You know, like a lot of horn player like lines. Yeah, and all that stuff. Baseline wise, he wasn't. It wasn't uh, as academic as Ron Carter, you know, with what he's doing and like all these reharms and all this stuff that that Ron did. You know, it's like yeah. more of a focus on just the fundamentals and just being like this solid bass player with a huge sound. Yeah, unrelenting like, like, time. Like I feel like this kind of like the groove was more on the bass in that 50s stuff. Yeah, yeah. Whereas, you know, Ron's a lot freer. Sure. Just because of, of the music yeah. changed that way, too. Right. Uh, yeah, the, the chops were like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, kind of like the rhythmic, like the advanced rhythmic uh, phrasing. Mm-hmm. Is you know what are your so, what are your uh, what are some of your go to Paul Chambers records? Like he's on that ton of records. Um, you know I love I believe I he's love, the most like, recording the, uh, the most recording yeah. guy up until Ron Carter. Right, right. Uh, I love those the Miles cooking. Oh yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, uh, relaxing is one of my favorite. Prestige, uh, yeah, that Prestige run is yeah. is just killer. Yeah, you know? yeah, I agree. I think those are. Uh, there's a lot of great information there, and it's just like, I mean, you know the story behind it. They recorded them all in like a week or something, like yeah. two days or something. Yeah. Just knocking them all out. out yeah. So you have to imagine somewhere in there, depending on what take happened during where in the two days, there's just like studio fatigue involved, and they don't care a little bit anymore. Yeah, I think they were doing their live show. It's it's like that's what they were doing. Yeah, at night in the clubs too. So it's. Kind of got a little bit of a rehearsal vibe, sure. you know. Right. It's cool. I, I it's really, really interesting document. You know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, like uh, I'm a huge fan of uh, the Jazz Messengers. Okay. Like, I like you know, yeah, yeah. 
I guess Doug, Doug Watkins. I wrote mm-hmm. down a couple of his lines, you know, not the solos, but um, yeah, all that like music at that time really resonates with me. Okay, like into the hard bop. Yeah, singing. Okay. Um, what what specifically can you define like what specific characteristic of that music it is that you're attracted to more than uh, something that's a little bit more exploratory yeah you know it's it's the groove it's like simplicity like hard bop it's kind of like more of a simple like catchy simple catchy melodies happening mm-hmm. you know in the heads and uh great you know, like not linear but like uh you know song progressions sure you know and uh you mean harmonic progressions yeah yeah, yeah and like like forms yeah yeah you know and like the modified 32 bar and kind of like you know, I love like the Wayne Shorter tunes that are like modified. Yeah, I mean everything about Wayne's writing is like, brilliant. It's like these sections yeah. that are like it's all in A A B A form. I just, I just love that. It's like, uh, yeah, kind of like the mathematical structure of form. Sure, that I, I find really okay, really cool, cool. And then yeah, you know, you're saying like. Uh, Definitely, like huge fan of uh, you know the Bill Evans trio, Scott Lafaro, mm-hmm. and his his writing is really interesting. Yeah, yeah, like who uh, really play out glorious stuff. Oh, sure. It's like really cool, like you know, odd phrase form that's, yeah. that sounds normal, you know. And I dig that, but then like I feel like you know, when the next decade, you know certain aspects of the music got like you know way more complicated mm-hmm. and forms of, like more abstract right and, and so this is interesting now you actually you're probably one of the few people I've talked to that's really this uh, specific about the form of the material yeah, you know, like that kind of ignites some of your engineer brain and the the constructs and framework and how things are working together. Yeah, I, I think I think so. It's okay. definitely like part of you know my mathematic position. Yeah. And also, I like, I mean, as bass player, like in that straight ahead scene, you're doing that. That's you. That's the job. Yeah, like to to hold that form together. Sure. And uh, yeah, that's. I just like that's so I I, I gotta like understand it for to deal <laughs> sure. to deal with the song I like you know a lot of times people try and teach you a song in like one bit at a time right and I, I'm like nah you want to know the whole I'm gonna start at the outside like mm. what's the what's the whole form and then break it down okay and, and like that's just like my brain so if we rewind to the idea go back to the idea of a work tape. You get a you get a, a CD or something with twenty tapes on, and you're going to learn a song. Is that your process to learning material? Also, you're going to listen through once and kind of like, all right, there's a verse, chorus, you know, and kind of segmented in your mind like A A B. All right, there's a bridge, C C A B A, and then you go back and learn changes. So you map out the form mentally. Uh, I think when I 
when I map it out, I would, I would, I would like, you know, the changes are the vehicle and the form. Sure. So I would like write out the changes. Okay. You know, probably sequentially. Yeah. You know, and then like, like, in knowing the song, I'd have to like know the whole structure of it. Okay. So you are still going to go work through it with learning material section by section, yeah. but then really check in on the overview of it. Yeah. The lock and I definitely, like, if someone, yeah, gives me a, a tape of stuff to learn, Yeah, I'll listen to it without analyzing it. Sure. Maybe a couple times. Okay. Just to see what the, what the vibe of it is, yeah. you know, and try to take in as much information subconsciously as I Okay. So you're not you're not really even on these initial listen throughs. You're not you're not like even imagining bass parts. In this in my mind, you're listening to scratch tracks. Oh yeah. So you're so now you're listening to scratch tracks in this scenario. Uh of tunes and you're not imagining bass parts or groups or you're just kind of getting a vibe of the lyrics? Yeah, the- I don't know if I would listen to 20 <laughs> scratch tracks down like that. that right. No, I, I, like I, I don't think I could. You know, like, whatever. Produced, you know. Yeah. Whatever, like, you know, for, for this project, the ant, mm-hmm. uh, you know, all of us have, you know, records out. So, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, and that's that's a case where you're like, oh, that's that's a cool baseline. I'll do something different there. Okay. You know, this okay. kind of and how much are, are the artists cool with you deviating from what's on the record? <clears throat> do you have some freedom? <laughs> some of them? Some yeah, exactly, exactly. I tend to work with people who are cool with that. Okay, good. <laughs> you know, actually, when, you know, I'm like, that's what I'm doing with, with Jay. He, he's got a record out that was his record was uh, he just went to Nashville and this guy Kevin Lowe produced it. Okay, Kevin Lowe, the blues yeah. artist? Okay. Yep, yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, he's friends of ours and uh, he produced it with just like session guys in Nashville yeah. and like really went deep into the songwriting and stuff. But I mean, it sounds kind of slick for my taste. Mm-hmm. But we were having a really good time before the, the uh, COVID hit on that tour. We were kind of like using the Grammy-nominated record as, like, <laughs> demos for, like, yeah. what we're really going to play on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Okay. But that sound, I kind of enjoy that, you know? Because it was a little slicker sounding, did he get a little bit more commercial success from it? I mean, Yeah, yeah, he got, a, he got a Grammy nomination. Okay. Which I think... Is that what his first, first now? <laughs> yep, that was okay. his first now. Nice. Has he ever won one? No. No? All right. So plug it on. I mean, that band's been, what, you said 93? 90, uh, yeah, we were... We were recording in 93, wow. first record, and tour was 94. Man. And then, so like, out of this much time, has there any, ever been, like, band politics? Or the band oh, band? no, it's just been smoothly a little yeah. time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've been fired three times, so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, that's an indicator. <laughs> but that also means you've been uh, rehired for. Or you've been hired for, right? Yeah. So there's, yeah. there's that. Yeah, well... <laughs> Let's hope that side of the map. I was glad he called me for this for this tour. Yeah. Uh, but you you guys go all the way back. What was it that you called? Um well the first time was uh 
he was in a fight with the drummer and decided that he's going to have a whole new band. That was in 96. Okay. So that was actually the second time in my, in my county because <laughs> after I first met him, he was like, oh, we're, I mean, I, you know, I had to go on a, I had to go on a trip for, for my work that I was working at that uh, equalizer company. And uh, he was like, oh, okay, well, I'm going to have a gig, so I'm going to get somebody else. I'll talk to you later. And I was like, well, you know, Call me. <laughs> and then, like, it was like a month or so later, he called me up. He's like, Can you do this gig? The other guy can't make it. So that was time two. Yeah, well, that was the first time. That was and, the first then time. In, and then in 96, he fired both me and the drummer. Like in a huff after they they been like fighting or you know, Is this always the same drummer? They stand up. Uh, yeah, yeah. Jeff Jeffrey okay. Clemens. Yeah, you know, kind of provokes him. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a little bit. It's you know it's really interesting dynamic. It's like a family dynamic. Okay. You know. So like yeah, I'm super pissed off at you. I love you, but just get out of my face. Totally. Yeah, okay. Totally. You know, that, that lasted for a year and then in uh, two thousand I don't know. When was Obama elected? Two thousand eight. Uh, sure. Something like that. That's yeah. when he he fired me because he was he wanted everybody to move to the East Coast. And okay. I lived in Portland, and Jeff lives in Nashville. And he was like, "Well, either move to uh, New England so we can have real rehearsals, like a real band, okay. or you know." You're fired. <laughs> I don't recall actually having the decision, but then one day he called me up and he's like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna let you go, man. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. How do like, those conversations go? Is it like, hey man, yeah, I'm just switching it up, uh, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Or is, kinda, it, is it more heavy? Kinda, is it heavy-handed? You know, it's not heavy-handed. Okay. You know, he's, a, he's a good dude. At heart, you know. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't blame. I wasn't having a good time in okay. band at that time, you know. I I was obviously disappointed with certain things, and um, yeah, I probably wasn't playing my best at all. So since then, have those things you were unhappy with been rectified within the band or within the touring or within? Yeah, you know, I was I was off for like five years. I call that my sabbatical. Okay. <laughs> And, uh, you know, it's funny. And then, then uh, you know, we, Angie, like, met up at a wedding, okay. our sound man's wedding. All right. And he's like, you know, you can come back anytime you want. I was like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Still at that point. Yeah. And then, like, a year later, he called me up. He's like, just come in for this recording session. You know, because the label doesn't like what I've done. <laughs> always, okay, that's how I got called back. Okay. The second time we had fired too. Who's the label? Well, at, at the first time it was uh, Sony Music Epic. Okay. Uh, it was hilarious. We, uh, yeah, we had like a bad argument. Michael Kaplan, he was like cigar smoking. Like quintessential business guy. Yeah, yeah, just like the well, just like the record A and R guy. Yeah. And at one point we're in the studio, you know, it's beautiful, like 
leave console and it's just me and me and him. He's probably smoking a cigar and you know, plays one of the songs and he turns to me with a hint of irony and goes, the kids will take this. <laughs> I was like, I almost cracked up right there. I was like, yep, it's going to take it, man. That's awesome. But That's um, Yeah. Yeah, the next time I, I went back and then he was working for uh, Brushfire Records. Okay. Uh, is that a subsidiary label of another major? Uh, that is Jack Johnson's oh, okay. label. Okay. Uh, that was... They're still around? Like, he would be a guy like, he's still doing stuff? Like, that would be another guy who'd have that reaction to. Yeah, you know, he is, it's a really interesting story because he had like a tremendous amount of success. And I was like, oh, I'm going to take a year off and not tour this summer. Yeah. And, and the whole business was like, what are you talking about? Yeah. You can't do that. You don't remember who you are. Right. It's like, well, I made a ton of money. He did. I, I, mean, I he had to surf. Right. I have a beautiful house in Hawaii where I surf. Okay. Fresh kids and wife. Like, why would I go out on yeah. tour with a bunch of. There were days in Hawaii. Yeah. Uh, all of his music just sounds like Santa Monica to me. Yeah. I don't know if you ever lived uh, up in LA and on the west side of LA. But, you know, all of his music just sounds like You that. know, man, he's he's very, uh, it all sounds like him. He's like, okay. he's like, Is he just surfer bro? Surfer bro. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Like, you know, sweet dude. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I would get that from He was nice to have us on his label nice. while he was putting out records, you know. It's, I mean, these days it's an amazing game. So yeah, I don't know. Was, I mean, how, what's what's it been like with Gila navigating that? I mean, because within since 1993 till now, like the music business is completely flipped. Yeah, yeah. How did you guys go about navigating the times? Were you around for some of that, or were these during you know, the sabbatical uh, years? Uh, we did. So I I feel like we had one of the last uh, traditional record deals. Okay. Uh, and she had six record deal with Sony Epic Music. I guess they got bought by Sony at one point. But, uh, you know, these were like old, like the first record. Uh, I remember on the, his third record, the budget was $300,000. Okay. And they were running behind it, and you're, you're you know, running on the budget. It's like, we need more money. It's like, well, we just done it. Six hundred. It's like, <laughs> and so, you know, as of you know, the next record did not have that kind of budget. <laughs> and, that's and then, you know, uh, then the, like we did five records, and then they put up the sixth record was just like. And then is that does that budget cover recording and mastering and printing, or is that like artwork and duplication and like how much of that budget yeah. is just for the actual process of? Producing the music versus all the other stuff that gets involved with producing a record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you think three hundred thousand dollars, like wow, you know, like that's a, you know, that's close to half million. You know, yeah, wow. Well, see, on the first record that he got, I think he got two hundred thousand on the first record, and it was almost pretty much already done. Okay, you know, so he banked. I mean, I would have I think, a lot he, of that I, think he put, I think he took hundred thousand dollars to pay the bank on that okay. on that first record and hasn't touched it. So yeah, that's you know pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's but, you know that that music is you know like the way the records are structured. Like we'll never see any royalties on that. Right. It's like 
you know, I feel like in a certain regard, like the because that label system, you know, kind of fell apart. Like we we were kind of left in the dust, you know. Right. You know, his early management, what did they did not emphasize the kind of DIY jam band thing that was happening in the mid nineties. Sure. You know, you know, I had friends in band that would like, you know, hustling all over and you know, we couldn't even get like we couldn't even get a proper merch thing together. So you know, it was there were some challenges there that they didn't really capitalize on the shifting. Yeah, yeah, the shifting to it was really kind of like a whole like jam band is taking over like the touring thing, you know. There's no there's no acts out there nowadays that are like label acts. Right. You know, unless there are giant yeah. YouTube stars or whatever. So um yeah, you know, we kind of we kind of slowly worked our way into that. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, in the in the two thousands, you know, we had some really great opportunities. Uh, you know, we did a co-headline tour with Stephanie Stupid and played all the you know small amphitheaters ourselves. And you know, they catapulted to what they do now, which is like do major tours right, and chants and we kind of floundered. And you know, it's like you know, a number of different circumstances, but the one that pissed me off and ultimately got me fired was that G Love lost his voice. Mm. And you know, it was like it was like a, after like a, after like a long stretch on the road, just yeah, too much was, strength. Yep. Yeah, right. And not taking care of it. Cigarettes, etc. Right. And uh that etc. will always get you. Uh, the etc. is the and like at one point we're on tour and something just popped and he he couldn't like couldn't sing couldn't sing and he didn't cancel the tour he should have canceled the tour and he just went on and would like sing one song and then like be really hoarse and Somehow his manager was like, to me and the drummer, it's like, you guys got to play better. Yeah. Like, what do you mean? Dude? Yeah, he right. the whole thing on his voice and yeah. it collapsed. So, you know, oops. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, well, when I came back, he, he's, yeah, he kept his voice much better. Now. Sure. And his voice is actually quite strong. He's actually like really singing. It's, okay. Yeah. Did he get it just some like, Take some lessons or deal with the coach and work out technique yeah, issues. You know, he, he, yeah, he took on the great teacher that I came back. It was like every, like he would do a whole lesson, warm up thing for every show. Yeah. He does to this day. It's cool. You got to do it. It's, yeah, like your, it's like your instrument. It's like picking Absolutely. up a bass without like being properly stretched out. And right. Up. It's, you know, it's cool if you do it once or twice, but if you do it every night, you're, you're going to have a cool muscle. Yeah. What, speaking of that, what do you, what's your warm-up routine before I did? Uh, I just do, I do, when I uh, was studying, I studied later with, uh, when I moved to Portland with uh, Glenn Moore, who's like, okay. plays in uh, Oregon, mm-hmm. like avant-garde jazz. Yeah. And, uh, that was really heavy experience, uh, and we did qigong. You know these, uh, okay. You know it's like so it's some kind of meditative. It's like yeah, it's it's meditation and movement. 
Okay. And it's really like the root, Qigong is the, the root of Tai Chi and like Kung Fu. It's from the Shaolin Temple, you sure. know? And the stuff that we did is like, uh, you know, for if you were riding a horse and warming up to like do battle on a horse with axes and stuff. Yeah. So there's like these big arm movements and Okay. Um, Everything's a broad motion. Yeah. yeah. These broad motions and opening up the shoulders and stuff. Wow. It's really great for, for bass playing. Huh. Yeah, it was wild because now that, that was exactly lesson or this yeah. was like something he would teach you that you just adopted in your own personal practice time. Yeah, did, I, did I you guess warm so, up the lesson. Yeah, no, we would we would warm up. Uh we for a while, you know, I did for a while, it was like a group lesson. Okay. Not too many other people would show up, but and it would start off with, you know, we would do like three different moves of this qigong. Yeah. That like warm you up, get you all stretched out. All right, it's really cool. And you still do that on the road? I do, I do. I like okay. try and get the do those movements as much as I can. And nice. Does that kind of get you mentally and? Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like you're breathing, you're breathing, yeah. and uh, I'm doing. I do headspace now, man. Like that's that's key to like, what's that? That's like a meditation app. Okay. Okay. Do you know deep breathing for a minute and uh, were you just concentrating on the breathing? Yeah, it's just like straight up. Uh, I forget which kind of meditation it is, but you do have to fall asleep. Yeah, like, yeah. But that's maybe it's a similar thing where you like. Every exhale, you kind of release tension in your body. Yep, you work yep. through your body, releasing tension. Yeah, it's yeah. so bizarre it's how your body moves when it's not holding tension. Like if you you're focused on your spine and you're exhaling and releasing tension, your body starts twisting in like weird ways. You're like, what? what's going on now? Yeah, it's tension crazy. is the, it's, it's crazy. It's the worst, and that's yeah. what uh, you know. Uh, that's what that's what will mess you up. We I also learned this uh, technique from from Glenn that was uh, he called it uh, finger yoga. Okay, but it's playing all the harmonics over over where the traditional notes are. So yeah, not all the harmonics, but so you just and you just lay your your finger on super lightly. Okay, and typically you know you bow way down by the by the bridge. So whether whether the, the place on the fingerboard gets a harmonic or not, you still touch the string as if you're trying to generate a harmonic. Yeah, okay. and they all get harmonics. Yeah. Some are just a lot smaller than others. Sure. You know, it's it's interesting uh, way to look at the fingerboard. Huh. And it's really important now for like playing thumb position and keeping track of where you are up there. Sure. Uh, uh, and and just just the kind of the realization is like oh yeah every you know fretted note you know is uh, is a harmonic mm -hmm. there's a harmonic there uh, some have a lot of harmonics like all on top of each other right I mean there's the main when I think about harmonics there's the main you know overtone series of each string that's yeah. open you know yeah. you get the root the fifth and then all the way up there you get the third the fifth flat seven and nine right. working all the way back but to me some of the notes don't speak unless you generate it through like a pulse harmonic a type of technique yeah they they can speak okay you know it's 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 challenging like right when you're right adjacent to a big one say you know the third harmonic which is the fifth yeah 
yellow, right? Uh, scale, when you're right next to that, it's hard to to get that right. harmonic because the other one wants to go off. So sure. that's where you're, you have to bow very specifically done. That's okay. how you bow down here. Okay. You know? Interesting. So, it's does cool, it, cool does the, the bow placement in relation to the bridge help generate that? Absolutely. If you're closer or further Absolutely. to get the right. same math? Right. You want to be generating, for example, if you're doing... Like if you know, you're doing C-sharp on the G-string. C-sharp on the G-string. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, D is going to be a major one, you know. Yeah, and D. Well, that's... Uh, so, yes, yeah, C-sharp would be... Tricky. Yeah, exactly. You're, yeah, you're going to be one that be down there because it. Uh, because I mean, that's a tritone away from the open string too, like that yeah. harmonic. Is yeah, that, that really harmonic, in the overtone series of the string? It's in there, not. Which is not present. Huh? Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I I had tried to play harmonics like from traditional sets like in you know overtone series. Yeah, and. You know, they're you know, that's a different way of looking at it, but the but the regular note positions are all, you know, in there. Yeah. And the the harmonics are of course related sure. to to the notes in place. So. Right. That's fascinating. And uh, you know, it's definitely about also keeping your your finger relaxed and keep sure. a nice open hand. Right. And, and the whole thing from the, the shoulder all the way down. Is, yeah. yeah. The bowing technique is got to be pretty good with this. You're pretty comfortable with the ball? Yeah. I play German. You know, I don't really, I don't perform much on it. I did a little bit, but yeah, I'm, it's, uh, it's fun, you know, at a, at a, you know, I'll take I'll take a bug bebop solo. Oh yeah, Try that's it. some Paul Chambers. Yeah, that's some yeah, Paul Chambers stuff. Huh? Yeah, you get into all that like Oscar Pettiford, Slam Stewart. You, yeah, not quite. Sla- I mean, Slam Stewart's really shit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. If I wanted to get into it more, that's what I'd study. Yeah, that singing over. Man, thanks for doing this while we're here. What's your relationship with Neymar? Oh. Well, I've been, you know, they send me strings. Okay. I want them on the road and yeah. make a spy record. Okay. They said, uh, they got you. T's been a, a friend from way back in the day. Sick. She needs to come out and see us at the, uh, we were just talking about it, at the 4th and B. Okay. Down in, uh, down in San Diego. Which yeah, is yeah. Like, crazy times. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good club. Nice. Nice. Well, man, I'm glad you were able to make it up here, and thanks for taking the time to do this. Yeah, Dude. thanks for having me. Man. Absolutely, man. Appreciate cool. it. All right. All right. That was my talk with Jimmy Jazz Prescott of G-Love and the Special Sauce. Kind of felt like an idiot. I kind of felt like an idiot because I don't apparently know anything about gut strings. All right. That's I felt I remember talking about that. I'm just like, oh, I, I thought I, you know, I thought I had read up on these things. You know, I, I, I've never played them. He would know better than me, but I felt uh, felt that in my element on that one because I don't know enough about gut strings. Oof. All right. Well, it's, you know, 
there's that. I don't, that's all I got on that topic. That's all I got on that topic, folks. Thanks again to Lemur for having me and the Bay Shed podcast out there to record uh, the video of that. That'll be up. You know, I'll probably gonna, I'll be talking about it on all the social media stuff. Uh, at thebayshed.com, what do I have? Uh, I'm still plugging, still, still working my way through. Still working my way through uh, Funk Volume 1, The Baselines of James Brown. I got about, I don't know, five or six up there now. Um, yeah, some Bernard Odoms, Fred Thomas. One, I don't know if it's Bootsy or Fred Thomas, but I talk about that in the video. That one went live today, actually. Uh, so check that out if you're interested in Funk Baselines and learning Funk and James Brown Baselines, thebayshed.com. Uh, that's all I got for this one, folks. I will catch you on the next one in a minute.